0: I want to um, mention tonight that it's my honor to get to teach on this tabernacle worship model. Haven't we enjoyed Brother Gothra's teaching on the, on the tavern? I'm on the uh, worship and how important worship is in the body of Christ, so important. And uh, pastor asked me would I, would I do a a series and I said well, I can do part of it because we're gonna to have to be out of town. But I he said, Well can you start it off tonight? I said yes sir. We'll do our best. So tonight we're going to be teaching on the tabernacle worship model. The tabernacle consisted, and if you if you got one of these you can read along with me, it consisted of a tent like structure, the tabernacle proper, covered by rug like Coverings for a roof and an external courtyard, which was 150 feet by 75 feet. The whole compound was surrounded by a high fence about seven feet in height. The fence was made of linen hangings held by pillars. The tent or the tabernacle proper was divided into the holy place and the holy of holies. The tent was made of acacia wood, boards overlaid with gold and fitted together to form the walls, measuring forty five feet by fifteen. Now if you think this is a shotgun building, you ought to have been in that one. Forty five feet long and fifteen feet wide. On top four layers of curtains acted as a roof to shield the tabernacle from the sun and the rain. The innermost layer was woven with fine linen and embroidered with figures of cherubim angels. The second layer was made of goat's hair. The third layer was made of ram skins dyed red. And the outermost layer was made of porpoise skins. Now, I know the King James says badger skins, but if you look that word up, it's actually porpoise skins. And perhaps this was the reason to keep out Rain, it would have kept the rain out, being that type of skin that it was. The curtains were pinned to the ground with loops and clasps. If you turn over to the back, you can see a small diagram of it and um, understand a little bit more what we just described. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we're going to start out tonight Hebrews 11. And verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 8 and verse 5 says, speaking concerning the ministry of the priesthood, they serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee. In the Mount. Now, when we look at this scripture, we find three words that I want to bring special attention to. One of them is example, one of them is shadow, one of them is pattern. All of you ladies that's ever made clothes, and I know that's almost becoming an art of the past, but used to be it was pretty common, ladies made their own clothes. My wife made our, her dresses, she made our children's, our girls' dresses and even made suits for our boys. I'm not saying the boys liked them, but they, they, she made them anyway. Back then, the, the favorite fabric was uh, knit, polyester knit. And boy, you could sleep in it, bathe in it, <laughs> drive in it, travel in it, never get a wrinkle, never wear out. I don't know why they quit making them except nobody would buy new suits because those things were like the children of Israel's clothes last 40 years. But um, anyway, if you're used to sewing, you understand what a pattern is. You lay that pattern out. It is not the real thing, but it's what you use to make the real thing. Now, reality is that when God told Moses the plan, the blueprint, gave him the pattern in the mount, and he came down. This was simply going to be a shadow, an example, and a type of what was to come in the new covenant. So in the tabernacle, uh, we have a pattern of the plan of salvation, from the altar all the way to the Holy of Holies, which represents repentance, the brazen labor, water baptism. Uh, we could go into the furniture, the candlesticks, the, the light of the gospel, the word, the bread, the showbread, and, and all of those things. But entering into the veil, into the Holy of Holies where the Holy Ghost comes down. We, we could go through the whole plan of salvation. Years ago, and, and there's many people that use this, Brother G.A. Mangan from Alexandria made very famous the tabernacle plan of prayer. It was a pattern of prayer life beginning from the front to the back. But But tonight I'm going to be teaching in a little different area. And this is the tabernacle worship model. We could talk about the tabernacle salvation plan model or the tabernacle prayer model but uh, for the next few weeks however long this lasts and we'll be having different teachers probably pastor be doing most of this but um, we're starting out tonight and we won't get anywhere near the end of the tabernacle probably get to the very front part but of how that each part represents a very important part of our worship and God's plan for worship in the church. Starting, first of all, with the surrounding court. This is what was called the outer court. And if you're looking on this uh, colored rendition, this tabernacle of Moses, look down at the bottom picture, and it is the linen wall that was about seven foot tall. was separated by pillars that held this up. And in the front, that colored section of, uh, and we, we taught one night on the colors and what each one of them represented. But there were the, there was the scarlet and the blue and the gold and the white of colors that were placed in the entrance or the gate, everybody say gate, into the outer court. Now, looking at this, what would the gate, we're, we're actually going to talk about the gate, even though it's not part of the tabernacle uh, worship model, but to get to that, you got to go through the gate. So it's kind of like your house is not the fence around your house. There's a gate that goes into your front yard and then you enter into the house. But looking at this, since it is something we've got to go through, let's talk about the gate for just a few minutes. Proverbs 100 and verse four. Is anybody that can quote that? Good, praise the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts, which is actually what this was, the courtyard, with praise. Now, so we, we like to think about the gates being a model or a type or a shadow or example of praise. Matter of fact, Isaiah 60 and 18 says, Thou shalt call thy gates praise. So there's something about entering into his gates. Now we, we sometimes talk about those doors back there, and we, in the prayer room, we might try to get you, you know stirred up a little bit and say, "When you walk in those doors, enter into his gates with Thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise." But this is not really the court. This represents sanctuary. So maybe we ought to make it those outside doors out there. But when you come in, when you greet Brother Frank or whoever's out there greeting you and shaking your hand and those greeters, why don't you also, when they say, praise the Lord, just do it. Wouldn't that be a shock? Say, praise the Lord, and you just went, Whoa, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. Enter into his gates with praise. And into his courts with thanksgiving, praise. Let me now. Let me. Let me emphasize the difference in praise and worship. Praise is what introduces us into worship. Praise is the gate that opens the door to worship. If we look at the tabernacle as a model of our worship, then the gates entering into that outer court represent our praise and our thanksgiving unto God when we enter in to the place where we're going to worship. The criteria for praise is different from the criteria of worship. Does anybody know what the criteria for praise is? All right. Psalms 150 and verse six, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Is anybody... Meet the criteria for praise here tonight. What about the rest of y'all? What are y'all living on? <laughs> I thought we was all breathing here tonight. Maybe, maybe some of you are holding your breath. I don't know. But if we've got breath, not only do we have a right to praise, we've got an obligation to praise. Did you know you're only here today because God has given you the breath of life? Amen. Now, God created a beautiful thing when he reached down in the dust of the earth and he made man. Can you imagine just making man out of the dust of the earth and he made him in his own image and in his own likeness, the beauty and the glory of God. And all of that beautiful creation was wonderful to look at, but it was lifeless until God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and man became a living soul. So if we're living tonight, not only do we have a right to praise the Lord, we have an obligation to say, thank you, Jesus, for the breath that I'm breathing. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that's pumping through my body. I may not understand what every organ is doing, but you made me wonderfully and everything you put in there is working just like it's supposed to work. And every day we ought to praise him for that. We ought to thank him for that. Can you say amen? Amen. Don't wait till you get sick to call on God. Just start praising him while you're well and say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm healthy today. Thank you, Lord, that I can get out of bed this morning. Thank you, Father. So the criteria for praise, breath. But what is the criteria for worship? Does anybody know that one? All right, we, if we don't know that, we haven't listened the last several weeks on Bible study night. Brother, Brother Gothry did a wonderful job bringing out the importance of worship and, and the ingredients of worship and what it takes to worship. And the, and the scripture said in John 4, 23 and verse 24, if you can put verse 23 up there first, it says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true, everybody say true, worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him. Now that, that scripture just blows my mind. God who is omnipotent, omniscient, who uh, knows all can be everywhere. He, he's almighty to think that there's something that he is looking for. Blows my mind. I mean, he's God. But do you know there's one thing that God seeks? God is looking for? True worshipers. True worshipers. Verse 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him, now here's why I say that this is the criteria for, they that worship him must That's not a prerogative. That's a commandment. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm not gonna get into all that because Brother Gothra did such a wonderful job teaching on that spirit, meaning the the active ingredient inside of us that causes us to act upon our desires and pursue the truth, which is Jesus. So what is simply saying, those that'll pursue, that'll chase after Jesus. As David said, that uh, my soul panneth after thee, Lord, as the, as the heart panneth after the water brook. It longs for you, thirst after you. This is, this is part of that worship that we're talking about. And looking at this, and, and with that in mind, did you know that it's the only thing, this is how unique worship is, it's the only thing you can give to God that He hasn't already given to you. That's good. That's good. Now, if I'm, I'm mistaken, somebody tell me something else. But I'm telling you, I've thought about this and prayed about God. Matter of fact, one day I was down praying and I said, God, I wish there was something I could give you that you haven't already given me because it seems like I can't give you anything. You gave me life. If I, if I emptied all my money out and gave it to you, you gave it to me first. My tithes and offering. You gave it to me to give uh, uh, everything that I've got, Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just this still, small voice that said, there's one thing. I didn't give you, you can give to me. I said, what, what? He said, worship. <laughs> because thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou worship. God Praise the Lord. We have something inside of us as humans, folks. I mean, let everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. That means that, that chicken that's waking you up in the morning, he's uh, got breath. And so how do you know when you're throwing something out there at the back fence to make him be quiet that he's not praising the Lord? <laughs> I got I got a couple old bullfrogs, one on each end of the pond behind my house. And during the night you heard, <sighs> This and that here. Back and forth and back and forth. And some scientists would say, oh, that's the great toad mating call. How does he know what they're thinking? He may be saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Woo! They got breath. (laughs) but worship only comes from those who have been made in his likeness humans are the only people that can give God worship and it's the only thing we can give him that he hasn't given us so how important is worship it's so important that Jesus said God's looking for that He's searching for that. He's seeking. I like to think about, you know, we need to think about this. Every time we walk into this sanctuary, come in praising the Lord. That's all right, but everybody with breath can do that. But then start thinking, God is here not just looking for a praiser. He is searching for somebody that will worship him in spirit and truth. And say, oh, Lord, I want you not have to keep looking around. I want you to see me, Lord. And and I'm not talking about somebody just jumping and dancing but from your spirit, you are seeking the presence of God and a relationship with him. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So with that in mind, let's look at the first furniture, if we can call it that, that is we won't run into as we go into this outer court before the sanctuary. Does anybody know what it is? You can see it there. If you you turn on the back, actually, we're opening up the veil, and you can see that first piece of shadow pattern model example that God gave us for worship. Does anybody know what that is? Everybody knows it. Everybody's too quiet to say it. Altar, thank you. The first time, if you'll turn with me to Genesis, the twenty fifth, twenty second chapter. I'm sorry, Genesis twenty two and verse five. The first mention of the word worship, the first mention in the Bible of the word worship, is found in this verse. God had spoke to Abraham and told him to. Go to a place where the mountains were, and they were called the land of Moriah. And he said, On one of these mountains, I will tell you of, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him up as a burnt offering upon one of those mountains. I don't know about you, but that that would make me sit up and scratch my head and say, Huh? God, I don't know if that's you. I, you know, your word says, Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> I know that wasn't written yet, but it was still God knew it. And there was something, but but Abraham didn't question God. And the Bible said, when he went with his son and their servants, verse 5, he said to his young men, Abide here with the ass. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship. This is the first time we see this word in the Bible. 22 chapters into the word of God and the first time it's mentioned. Mentioned many, many, many times later, but the word worship is mentioned. We will go yonder and worship. You see, we think the reason it's dangerous to get worship and praise mixed up, praise can be a part of your worship and worship can be a part of your praise, but they are not the same because we get this mentality that worship is something that makes us happy. We get excited about, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, clap your hands oh your people, shout with a voice of triumph, leap for joy, praise him in the dance, praise him with the cymbals. It's all a happy thing. But worship, true worship, begins at an altar. It is a sacrificial thing. How many's ever not felt like praising the Lord? Come on, I'm just—we we all. Oh, you want to down inside? You know your your mind's writing checks that your body won't cash. Yeah, I got to. I want to, but, whoo, I'm so tired. My back's hurting, and my legs are hurting, and this is hurting, and that's hurting, and you know. The other night, I, I man, it was so powerful in here Sunday night. I just got, I, I, I danced and shouted and ran and carried on for so long and enjoyed it so much. But when I got done, I hurt all night long. I said, man, what's going on here? I used to do that for hours and it didn't bother me. Now if I do it 10 minutes, I'm... <laughs> but God is looking for not an easy route. Worship is represented here. Notice now what he goes on to say. We're going to go yonder and worship. And I love the faith of this man and we're coming back again. (laughs) The Bible tells us what Abraham was thinking too in the 11th chapter of Hebrews uh, by inspiration and revelation that God gave the writer of Hebrews. He lets us know what Abraham was thinking. He said, by faith, he offered Isaac up knowing that even if he died, he would raise him up again because he'd already given him the promise that through this young man, I'm going to bless the whole earth and all the inhabitants of the earth shall be blessed through thy seed. Had a promise. Oh, hallelujah. But look at this now. Let's let's go on down to verse six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. Now I want you to picture in your mind if you can, well, just hold on to that thought. I'll get back to it in just a moment because there's something revelatory in this. Verse seven says, and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And look at verse nine, and they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Wow, this is, this is really powerful because if you go on and, and, and find this, verse 13 said, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him, I want everybody to think of that for just a moment. He's got the knife. Isaac is laying on the altar on the wood. He laid him on the wood. And he's getting ready to, you know what they did with the knife? He's getting ready to cut the jugular vein, let him bleed out. And then he's going to set him on fire. And he's got the knife and suddenly the Lord speaks out of heaven And stops him. And when Abraham looks up, the Bible said he looks, Pastor mentioned the other night, he saw, he had a vision. Let me tell you what that vision was. He saw it behind him. And a ram was there because he had just by faith said, the Lord shall supply himself a lamb. But that, the, 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 the very claws he looked behind him. When I read that the other night, God impressed me what happened when Moses said, Lord, I want to see your face. Yes. He said, well, here's a little cleft in the rock. You stand in there. I'm going to pass by, but I'm going to cover you up. And, and But when I, when I get past you, I'm going, to, I'm going to remove the cover and you can see the hinder parts. See behind me. And I believe it was there when God revealed all the creation to Moses. What was behind him, what took place in the past. And I believe with all my heart what he saw, that vision that Abraham saw was more than just a a lamb wrapped over there with his horns in in the bushes. It was more than a sacrificial son that he had, his only son laying there. He saw, I believe, with a Perfect vision. What took place before the foundations of the world? When the Bible tells us, and we read about it in Book of Revelation. I think it's Chapter Thirteen. It said, "The Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world." Hallelujah! In God's mind, He already had a plan of salvation. In God's mind, He said, "I'm going to wrap myself up in a robe of flesh, and I'm going to come and be the Son that will give His life for His people." Matter of fact, when John saw him on the banks of Jordan, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And and the parallel here, the model of this, just, it's amazing. Look, Look at this, thy son, thine only son. That was Jesus Christ also, type of Jesus. And notice this. He put the wood, verse six, Abraham took the wood and laid it upon Isaac, his son. What was it Jesus marched out of Pilate's hall carrying up to the top of the mountain? (laughs) That wooden cross. Then the Bible said, Abraham built an altar and he laid the wood on the altar and he bound his son on the wood. He laid him on the wood. They took the body of Jesus and bound him and nailed him unto the wooden cross. And there's where Isaac gets off and that's where we get off because God took our place. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it all happened at an altar. At an altar. At an altar. So our first step into this model of worship takes place at the altar. The altar, I had a pastor recently call me and he said, Brother Carson said, is there really any scripture for an altar in the church in the New Testament? And I said, Well, not the kind of altar you're thinking of. The Old Testament altar, it was a type and a shadow of another altar, which is a spiritual altar. Sister Carson and I sang the song, I think Dottie Rambo wrote it many years ago, said I find my altar anywhere I talk to God. But at this time there had to be a specific place for the altar. I probably don't have the time to get into it, but I've got, I've got to mention a little bit about it. The place that God said I've got prepared, note, notice what he said. He said, you, you go up into the land of Moriah and one of these mountain, which I will tell you of. Wow. Can I read you something here? Um, let me pull out a little something that, Came from the uh, scripture in second or, or in Genesis twenty-two and two, he said, "Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. Offer him there upon a for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you." Now look at Second Chronicles. They're going to put this up, the third chapter and verse one, when Solomon was getting ready to build the house. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to David, his father, in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. This thing has been in use a long time. You're going to find out why that Temple Mount is one of the most, one of the holiest places in the world to the Jews. Because it started out actually over here with the offering of Isaac that the Lamb took his place, which was all a type of the New Testament salvation through Jesus Christ hanging on the cross of Calvary on Mount Calvary. Can you say amen? But I want to read this to you. It's from Adam Clark's commentary. In Mount Moriah. S- Supposed to be the same place where Abraham was about to offer his son Isaac, so the Targum, now Targum is Aramaic for translation or interpretation. That's what it means, especially from the Hebrew text. And it reads like this. Solomon began to build the house of the sanctuary of the Lord at Jerusalem in the place where Abraham had prayed and worshiped in the name of the Lord. Somebody said, oh, that's just a coincidence. You think so? That in the place where the first time the word is mentioned, and the altar that represents that worship, that God's going to build that God lays hundreds of years later, He's going to speak to to, to uh, Solomon. He's going to speak to David, and and David's going to find that place there where they brought the Ark back from the from the Gentiles, from the Philistines, and he bought that piece of land. And it just so happened that's the very place where Abraham had offered Isaac, and that's the very place where the foundations of the temple were gonna be laid, which was also a type of the tabernacle. I could go further and talk about that altar, but it, it, it we don't have time to get into all that tonight, but there, it has been found where that blood of Jesus actually dripped down and through the cracks, went down into the area where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that doesn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise any of us because as a type and a shadow and example and a and a point. What was it, the high priest? Jesus was the high priest. He went into the Holy of Holies and he took the blood of the sacrificial lamb and he sprinkled it upon the mercy seat where the Ark of the Covenant was. So should it be any surprise that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief priest and who is the lamb and the sacrificial blood would be sprinkled right there where that blood would run down from that mountain and into that place. Some say where the Ark of the Covenant is hidden even yet today. And I've seen pictures about that, but I won't, I won't get into all of that. There's, there's a website you can look about it. But here, here notice what it says. He was, here Abraham was about to offer his son Isaac for a burnt offering. But he was snatched away by the word of the Lord and a ram placed in his stead. Here Jacob prayed when he fled from the face of Esau, his brother, and here the angel of the Lord appeared to David, at which time David built an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor, which he bought. Whew. Just coincidence? No, God is a perfect, perfect organizer. Come on, hallelujah. He has this whole thing ordained. Amen. I know we probably aren't gonna get any further than the altar. I didn't even plan to, so don't get nervous because I know some of you are sitting there with old carnal minds thinking, Brother Carson hasn't even got past the altar and we gotta get all the way up to the Holy of Holies. We're not gonna do that tonight. Not gonna do that. (laughs) We're not gonna do that. But when Abraham looked behind him, I, I believe he saw the whole plan laid out there. No wonder he could say, I I'm not worrying about a thing. I'm not gonna worry about a thing. Sarah laughed when she heard about the promise, but Abraham just, the Bible said he had faith in God and he fainted not. He did not, it, it didn't face him. Somebody said, how could you you offer your only son? Because he knew that what God has promised, he's gonna do. So our first step in worship is the altar. No, I'm not talking about you have to come down to this place. I'm not talking about some physical altar. I had to think about what that pastor asked me, is is the altar, do we have an altar in the New Testament church? And uh, I said, yes, we do. It's not a physical altar necessarily, although we sometimes have benches that we pray on or places like this we call an altar that we can come. But even that sometimes we misuse. Sometimes we think that's for the sinner to come and, uh, you know, get saved. I can take you to the time. I can take you to the place, you know, where the Lord saved me. Well, first of all, we're not saved yet. Oh, I hate to pop your balloon. Because some of y'all was just thinking of that song. I'm saved and I know that I am. But salvation remembers a journey. It begins with belief. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It goes on to confession. That whosoever believeth in him and confesseth his sins shall be forgiven. It goes on to repentance. Water baptism in Jesus' name infilling of the Holy Ghost, except a man be born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It goes on to faithfulness. It is required in a steward that they be found faithful. It goes to finally endurance. The final step of salvation is enduring. It's not just being born, folks. That's the, the start of this thing. But he that endureth unto what? the end shall future tense, shall be saved we haven't endured to the end yet now some have, and thank God they're on, they're on that journey, glory but we haven't made it yet but how many has got a determination in your heart, we, we've got to get this in our heart more than ever before that it is time to serve the Lord, it's time to seek the Lord with everything that we have within us closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the closer we need to get to him. So our first step in worship is the altar. The altar was a place of humility. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of submission and sacrifice or repentance or death to sin. This first step, this altar area that we come to was where the sacrificial offerings were offered by the priest. Now, today we don't kill animals and lay them on the altar. Jesus Christ was our, not only our lamb, sacrificial lamb in his blood that redeemed us, but he was our example that we should follow him in, in this plan of salvation. Jesus died, we should die. die out to sin and repentance. Jesus was buried, we should be buried. We're buried with him in baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Jesus resurrected, we should resurrect to walk in newness of life through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Spirit came back into that dead body and he came alive. When the Holy Spirit comes in us, we come alive. But looking at this, it coincides with Second Chronicles. This is amazing how God puts this thing all together like a beautiful puzzle. It coincides with 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 1. Let, let's take a moment and, and read that. Now, it's amazing what happened before this. But God had laid on Solomon's heart and David's heart to build this temple David had the blueprint, the plan, and gave it to his son Solomon. Solomon built it. And now we find him getting ready to uh, pray and worship. And the Bible says in verse one, When Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Where was Solomon? He was at the brazen altar sitting there in that outer court before the sanctuary, that first place we come to in in that model of worship and he was offering sacrifices unto the Lord and the fire from heaven came down and consumed. They didn't have to set anything on. On fire but the fire that fell just like it did for Elijah came down and consumed the sacrifice and the glory of God filled the house I'm telling you when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice the glory of God will come down and consume us with the Holy Ghost and fire to the point that his glory will fill this sanctuary I've seen it happen so many times. The Bible said it it, it was such a cloud from the glory of God that the ministers, the priests, could not minister in the sanctuary. And I've seen it happen just like that. It was so powerful. God's glory and power filled the house until the preacher couldn't even preach. Tried to, and every time he did, somebody would start speaking in tongues. Somebody would start running in house power and the glory be healed miracles taking place so so this happening let's look down now to verse 3 and when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down the glory of the Lord upon the house they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised there's the difference again Not only did they praise, but they worshiped. Saying, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And it goes on to tell all about those sacrifices, but looking in verse seven, moreover Solomon hallowed or made holy the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. What was in there? The altar, the brazen altar, and the brazen labor. The first pieces of furniture as we model and as we enter in to worship, after we go through the gates of praise, there's that altar of worship. And right in the middle of it, he offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the brazen altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the meat offerings and the fat. The the thing was big. It was about five foot square and stood up about this high and and they had steps leading up to it. It was a big altar and horns on each corner but he said it wasn't big enough. They had so much offerings uh, that they were bringing in that it wasn't big enough and he had to take the whole middle section of that outer court. Remember how large it was. And, and they began to offer up sacrifices all around the whole area. Wouldn't it be something, the glory of God just come down in such a way that there's not room up here the altar. <laughs> Somebody starts running up the altar and saying, pastor gets through preaching and said who wants to enter into the holy of holies now who's ready to get on past this and come on up here to the altar let God do something for you And, and there's so many people up here nobody can get up there and so they start receiving the Holy Ghost out there in the pew they start being healed right there when nobody can even get to them to pray for them how many of you believe that God is able to manifest his glory once again just the same way Because this is really not the altar. The altar's where you die out to your flesh and present your body a living sacrifice in worship unto God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So after this happened, God spoke to Solomon that night and he said, if my people which are called by my name will, and these four things he mentions, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Did you know all of that takes place at that first piece of furniture? I'm talking about worship now. Come on, worship's gonna cost you something. Come on, I said worship's gonna cost you something. Remember where David uh, uh, found that place where the ark was settled right there and that Jebusite uh, had that land and David said, I'm going to buy this land because right here, this is a special place. I don't know if David knew it or not, but this is where Abraham was offering Isaac. This was the place uh, 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 where Jacob fled from his brother Esau and prayed. This was a holy place. This was going to be where the temple would be built. This is where the Messiah would be sacrificed. And that Jebusite said, oh, oh no, 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 you're, you're King David. said, so you, you can have it, I'll just give it to you. He said, oh, God forbid that I offer anything to God didn't cost me something. Woo, hallelujah. I'm gonna tell you something, praise can come from anybody, but worship's gonna cost you something. There's a price, come on, that's been paid for worship. And it's the precious blood of Jesus to come to this altar It's going to cost you something. What's it going to cost you? Humbling yourself. Praying. Seeking his face. Does anybody want more of God than ever before? And finally, last but not least, turning. Which is repentance. Which is dying the final stage of that altar, first you got to bind the sacrifice, then you got to slit the throat and it's got to die. Then the fire comes. (laughs) When we die out to sin in repentance, humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, which is worship, praise him, and turn from our wicked ways. Then, look over at your name and say, Then. I'm I'm trying to keep count of how long I'm preaching and that thing keeps going black on me. Screen, black screen. Somebody needs to help me. Oh, there it is. 44 seconds. Oh, 44 minutes. I'm winding up. Then will I hear from heaven? And I will forgive your sins. And I will heal your land. Woo. Does anybody believe we need some healing in the land? Come on, does anybody believe we need some healing in the camp? Does anybody believe God's ready, God's waiting, God's willing? He's just waiting for somebody to step in through the gate of praise and come up to the altar of worship and lay down that body, lay down that sin, lay down that flesh, lay down that carnal nature. Humble yourself before God. Pray like you've never prayed before. Worship like you've never worshipped before. And repent like you've never repented before. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's already made the promise. Well, if I kill myself on the altar, won't be nobody to shout. No, God will raise up a new man. We got to kill the old man. said, but I did that a long time ago, Pastor, when I got baptized, you know, I've, got, I've repented, I've got baptized in Jesus' name. I, you know, that's what folks will tell you. But the Apostle Paul, that wrote most of the New Testament, said, "I die every day." Wow. Now, how are you going to die daily without resurrecting daily? <laughs> That's why the Bible said that we are renewed in the Holy Ghost day by day, renewed day by day. Because if you're dying out, you got to resurrect. I think, Pastor, I believe it was you. The other night was teaching and preaching or treaching or whichever it was. It was good. You talked about that if a righteous man fall seven times, he will rise again. And I, I got a message. Seven up. If he fell seven times, he had to get up seven times. Come on, seven up. I'm gonna do some research, see where they named that, that drink from. They must scout that right out of the word of God because if you fell seven times, you got up seven times, seven up. Woo! I'll let you preach that. You do a better job than me anyway. All of it takes place at the altar of worship. Genesis 22 and 2. If you could put that up. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Offer him there upon one of the mountains of Moriah. Hallelujah. Second Chronicles three and one, you don't have to put it back up unless you got it handy, but that's where Solomon was that same spot must be precious to God come on that altar must be a holy place and here's what I I don't know if I ever told that preacher that asked me but I think I'll call him back and give him this scripture Hebrews 13 and 10 says we have an altar <laughs> we have an altar we do have an altar It's not the Old Testament altar where animals are laid on and their throats are slit. No. Our altar is a spiritual place. This is a spiritual altar. That was just a model. That was a type. You come up here to this place to pray or if you pray kneeling back there, pastor and is going to come by there and get some rope and tie you down to that place that you're calling your altar. Say, now when you get prayed through, we'll let you up might not be a bad idea what what works even better than that baptize hold them under and say until you make up your mind now <laughs> no nobody can do it for you come on nobody can repent for you nobody can be uh, turned away from their sins but you, you've got to do that and so we see this beautiful place, we have an altar. It is not made of stone or brick or clay or wood. But notice what it goes on to say. We're of they, talking about those ministers, those priests of that offered the meats. They have no right to eat which served the tabernacle. That That old tabernacle won't take away your sins. It just pushed them up one year at a time but only the blood of Jesus could take our sins away. Hallelujah. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin or burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, for there or here rather we had no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name stand with me tonight praise the Lord everybody say 51 minutes Whew. I love that scripture i will quote it again Romans 12 and 1 present your bodies I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Come on, that's, that's where the mercies are found, at the altar. Yes, yes. Yes. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God's not a God of the dead. Come on, he's not interested in the, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs anymore. He's not interested in the millions that have been slain for those things. But he's looking for a living sacrifice tonight. Holy and acceptable unto God which is what? Our reasonable service. Look over your neighbor and say it's reasonable. It's reasonable. God doesn't ask you to do something un- unreasonable. You know what that word reasonable is? God has a reason in it. There's a reason for an altar. There's a reason. We have an altar and it's that first step through the gates of praise. When we get to that place, our worship, if you can grasp this, next pastor, you can get on that laver and what all it represents and all the other furniture. But first of all, most importantly, we've got to get to the altar and humble ourselves and sacrifice this whole carnal nature Hallelujah. How can we, you say, I have a hard time giving up sin. How can you that are dead live in sin? That's what the scripture said. If we die, come on, if we die out to sin, we're not gonna keep committing sin. So people that have trouble giving up things, What you really have got to learn to do is I've got to get on that altar. My worship has got to be more than just shouting and dancing around. I've got to live for God and die out to the world. Don't be afraid of dying because the moment you die out to the world, you're going to be resurrected in life through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands in worship right now. Unto the King of kings, the Lord of lords in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.